Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Welcome back to Savage to Sage. This is Daniel, your host, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Scott Hansen, the founder and CEO of Lead Sigma. Welcome, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't you give us a quick background on Lead Sigma and what is it, the problem that you solve? Sure. So Lead Sigma at its core supercharges the sales process. We do this by both enabling immediate calls to leads every time without delay and by giving sales reps an AI-driven predictive follow-up cadence, which maximizes lead conversion and drives down customer acquisition costs, increases marketing ROI really across all channels. It's fantastic. Tell me more about the story of you know, what what prompted you to jump into entrepreneurship. I know it. you could share the story about Lead Sigma and why you decided to start that, but I know your entrepreneurial journey goes back before Lead Sigma. So t- take us back to the origins. Sure. So I'm calling in here from Kansas City, grew up in Kansas City. And growing up, I really loved to sing. I still love to sing. And one of the best college choirs in the world is up in Minnesota, little liberal arts school called St. Olaf College. So I went up there. I knew I'd get a great education, but I wanted to sing sing with the choir there and got the opportunity to do that. And the entire time I was working toward being a dentist, actually, I thought I was going to be a dentist growing up. My mom is an orthodontist and the plan always kind of was, you know, I was interested in it. I, I enjoyed the business and I went up to school did all the pre-dental requirements, took the test. And while I was at school in Minnesota, I met a gal from Phoenix who ended up being my wife, but she was a year behind me in school. And so I decided to defer dental school for a year and go back and work with my mom for experience, but also so that I could go up on the weekends and see her. And like, it took like just a few months when I realized I do not want to do this for my career. Like I do not want to be a dentist. I do not want to be an orthodontist. And Uh, I wouldn't say it was a crisis, but it was just kind of like, well, I just did a lot of work and now I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'd always really enjoyed the business aspect, the entrepreneurial aspect of the business. Even growing up, like we would buy, like we would get buy a hundred like light up yo-yos from China. And we would at like our local fairs, like put on white t-shirts and just Sharpie on $5 and sell them for five bucks. So I'd always had (laughs) this uh, fascination with entrepreneurship and how businesses work, how sales and marketing and service all come together to create value for customers. And there was obviously a lot of de facto trust built between my mom and I, especially working together after a few months. And I said, you know, I'm not going to be a dentist. Like our plans for the future are shattered because I'm not coming back here to, to practice with you. But I said, there's a lot of opportunity in this business. Like it's been flat for a period. It's a successful business, but it looked like a pretty typical dental office orthodontic practice, like you would imagine it. And we had patients that loved it. Like they loved the service that they got at our practice and they were advocating for us. We had a really unique situation in that most of our patients 
at the time were patient referred, which is unique to an orthodontic practice. Most orthodontic practices are primarily professionally referred by other dentists. Um, but she had just built this great network of people. And I thought, man, there's so much opportunity here. So I said, we were at dinner one night and I said, you know, why don't you straighten teeth and love on patients all day long and really focus on doing the stuff you love to do and let me focus on everything else, how we market the service, how we sell the service and how we serve patients and really put some organization around it to see if we can make this thing grow. And after three years, we tripled the size of the practice. We were one of the fastest growing practices in the country. We sold it to a private equity fund rolling up orthodontic practices. And during that process of growing the practice, we kept looking for innovative ways that we could get in front of moms faster or get in front of our, our decision makers faster, which for us was moms, like kids bring their or, uh, moms bring their kids in to come get braces or Invisalign. Mm-hmm. And I saw the website traffic that we had, and it just made sense to me that there were a portion of these people, a portion of these moms that after they put the kids to bed would Google for an orthodontist in our area and read the Google reviews and kind of make some decision-making about where they were going to call the next day or submit a form or whatever. And it also made sense to me that when these people got on our website and didn't fill out a form or didn't make a call, like they're not there for fun. Like they're there because they, they want something from us. Like they're seeking a service. And so I thought, you know, other industries are using online chat to capture these conversations, like start a relationship in real time with these people. Why aren't orthodontists doing this? So I ended up, we staffed it ourselves for a while. And then I hired a guy to do the work exclusively for us. So he managed all of our online chat. It worked extraordinarily well. And he sat around the day most of the day doing nothing because, you know, for a typical orthodontic practice, like even a busy one, like there's not enough volume to keep one person busy all day. So I called up a few other uh, businesses and I said, Hey, I'm paying this guy to do this for us. I'll train him and manage him. If you want to pay me a fee, I'll just do the process for you. We can install it. He'll manage it for all of us together. And very quickly that grew into a bona fide service offering. Um, It was called professional chats. And we branded inside each vertical. So we started with orthodontists, and that was ortho chats. We went to chiropractic and home services. And those were all branded differently, but under the parent of professional chats. And after a little over two years, we had 150 employees. And uh, I ended up selling it to an incredible business in Portland called Ruby Receptionists. And Mm -hmm. they have an awesome service or had an awesome service that provided virtual receptionists over the phone, which they still provide this incredible, like the the quality of the people and the relationships they developed there is awesome, but they didn't have online chat. And so they wanted to offer that to their customers. And we had developed software to allow a chat center to interact with a call center. And Mm. so it was just, it was a great, um, you know, a great combination of our services. And I would highly recommend Ruby to to any business, both for the online chat and for the virtual receptionist services over the phone. They're awesome. But I sold that to them in 2018. After that, I, I, I worked with Ruby for a while during the transition. Then I got in an RV actually and spent a year in an RV traveling around, kind of percolating on uh, what Lead Sigma could be. And the reason why Lead Sigma exists is because in the early days of the chat business, we had a few employees, we had about 40 customers, 
these are the days that I was still doing everything. So I was managing the practice. I was doing this chat business and two of the customers called me in the same week. And they said, your chat, like we like you, but your chat service doesn't work. Like the leads are bad and we're not getting any appointments scheduled from these. And I treated our office. We, we were just in a private, private office in our same building of our orthodontic practice. I treated our office the same way I treated every other client because I wanted a really good test case for how it worked. Mm-hmm. And my intuition was that they just weren't even getting caught. Like the people we were sending over just weren't being followed up with. And so I just got on my iPhone and I started calling these people that we'd sent over to the offices. And I said, hey, this is Scott calling with OrthoChats. Uh, this is just a courtesy call to make sure you got an appointment scheduled. And you know, we've served you well. And over and over the people said, no, no one ever called me. So I said, well, do you have a moment to set up the appointment now? And they said, yes. So I called our our clients that wanted to quit. And I said, Hey, I've got a, you know, I've got this person on the other line. They're ready to schedule the appointment. And I just merged the calls on my iPhone. And I just sat there while they scheduled the appointment. <laughs> and I did this for hours and made these two doctors a lot of money. And, um, it was, it was a great success. One of the guys ended up quitting anyway, because I think he was mad that I kind of outed him that it was his process that was broken. The other guy was very grateful um, and continued on. But that made me realize that there is a really big disconnect between what marketing does in driving these people to uh, become interested in a particular service provider and the sales process. And so we ended up starting a call center for the chat business to solve this problem. Um, for the chat leads specifically, but that's the day that, you know, just being an entrepreneur, I was like, man, one of these days, it might be really cool to solve that problem for, you know, at scale for, for lots of different use cases. That was really the birth of the idea of lead Sigma. So that every time we get a customer interested or a prospect interested in our service or our software, that we can reliably follow up with them immediately. And if we don't get a hold of them on the first pass, have a really successful follow-up cadence that is tracked to ensure that we're taking advantage of every single opportunity that we have. Got it. So I'm still not a dentist. (laughs) I want to hear more about the choir thing, but I might ask about that later because I'm also a choral musician and was in college as, as well. So, but for later. So in terms of, you know, when you think about the lessons that you've learned or the, the major lessons or aha moment in terms of self-awareness for you as, as an entrepreneur or leader, like what stands out to you? Sure. With professional chats growing from one to 150 employees, we bootstrapped the whole thing too. So we didn't have wow. funding. Like w- there was a lot of cash flow management and other business processes that were, that were really important that I learned on the fly. But I would say in terms of self-awareness, and how that impacted the business, the biggest thing that I learned was it is extraordinarily important in a growing business to think a year ahead. And I've always kind of taken that perspective of what processes are we doing now? In a year, if we meet our growth goals, will this process still work? Will it still make us work efficiently and effectively? If not, Let's go ahead and design the new process right now and start using it. So that way we are building the foundation, a successful foundation to continue to grow on. And we ask ourselves that for, you know, for every process in the business. And the reason why I said that relates to self-awareness is it took me a little while to understand the value of that 
forward thinking. I think off the bat, I was a little bit more running and gunning, which I think that, you know, there's certainly a necessity to that, especially when you're bootstrapping a business. But that intentionality and really being aware that that is not my natural instinct to think that far in the future and do it anyway uh, is what led to our success and a, a contributor contributed to our success and really helped us really helped position the business and my mindset to continue growing past that. Yeah. Is there a, like a story of maybe how you had to learn that the hard way or is it something that came a little easier in the learning process? I can't think of an example where I had to learn it the hard way. I mean, certainly you can do your very best from the start to be thinking long-term and you get it wrong occasionally. And that always causes pain. Fortunately, if you're designing an agile organization and you have everyone on the same team, you can fix those problems, you know, quickly, but no, no specific examples come to mind. Just the general mindset of thinking forward, like, if we, and it applies the same way for sales and marketing. If you want to create X amount of sales a year from now, what kind of, like, what kind of marketing, like, how should you be driving interest a year from now? And are you starting to do that today? Because if you're not starting to do that today, nothing magic is going to happen a year from now. You have to build on that process and make it happen sooner rather than later. Otherwise, you'll never get there because in a year, it takes a totally different, like a team of 10 people works totally different than a team of a hundred people. And so mm-hmm. you have to be very conscious of how the business gets managed, what processes are actually scalable. So if you can take it from one person, a team of one to a team of eight, are the processes already built to, uh, to endure that? And same way with from eight to 80, like I haven't experienced that myself from, you know, I guess in terms of a whole team I have, but like a specific department, when a specific department's team goes from eight to 80, you have different processes that you need to consider. So yeah, so it's long-winded answer, but yeah, I, th- I think it's just a general approach. Yeah, I like that. The next question I was thinking about, and I want to find a way to connect it to what you just said, and that's you've had the chance to grow and scale a company that you sold, and now you know you're looking to do similar with with Lead Sigma as you really get traction in the market and take off, go up, off and running. And so, mm-hmm. talk to me about how you think about with that next year in mind how you add to your team and what are those like think about like the early hires that you make being so integral to the success of your company like what are you looking for in team members that is a great question and i was very fortunate at in the initial days of professional chats i was very fortunate to luck into a few good people but it taught me a very valuable lesson And that is that the founding team is integral in creating traction for the business and creates an amazing bench of talent down the road when you need leaders for specific departments or for the business. Mm -hmm. Our director of operations, our top salesperson through the end were the second and third hire for professional chats and went from Mm -hmm. earning... I don't even remember 13 or 15 bucks an hour to, to a lot more than that. They, it's, uh, they out me. Um, and 
as a business owner, that's a very fulfilling thing. But what that taught me was the value of those early team members. And what we started to pay very special attention to, especially in a, in a, in a service, we, we were kind of like a hybrid, like a software enabled service. We created software, we provided a service, um, both things created value. But when you're building a team, the culture of the organization from the foundation is, is the same one year roadmap that I was talking about mm-hmm. in one year. If you want the culture of the organization to look like to look in some certain way, if what you're doing right now does not reflect what you want it to be a year from now, then you're doing the wrong thing. And that impacts the hiring decisions that you make. And obviously we're looking for really talented people and, you know, you have to sift through and find those talented people. But I would, I would venture to say that as important or more important than that in the early stages when it's agile is what are the personalities of the people that you're bringing on board? How does that affect the vibe in the office? Are people excited to come to work? Are they signed on to exhibit the core values that you have every day? Are they signed on to the problem that exists and actually solving it for customers? You can hire a lot of people that are lukewarm. I would say, I would say most people are lukewarm. But yeah. if you find people that have fire in their soul and not just fire for whatever kind of work they're doing, but fire in their soul for other people, those are much more fun people to work with. First of all, mm. like it's, it's just per- selfishly way more fun, but too much easier to attract really high caliber people into the organization because that culture attracts people in terms of building an organizational culture. We learned that. And certainly use that for, for hires after those first few, after I realized that I just kind of lucked into it. And similarly, I made some mistakes early on, brought some people on board that, you know, in the early days, didn't, they didn't have that same fire. And in some cases I held on to those people too long, which was a good learning experience for me. But later on, we got better and better at that. We got better at identifying, like we did everything we could to hire the best people with that had the best cultural fit to the organization, but pretty early on, you can tell, like once people, people can put on a face for a while, but if that's not really who they are, they're not the right person for the organization. I will say one of the, one of the things that I learned about those conversations and how to position those conversations for later is make sure that the culture and your expectations of the culture are extraordinarily well-defined from the start and have them sign on to those values, have them sign on to the mission and the vision. Because when they do that, it's not a conversation later down the road of, oh, your manager doesn't like you or, oh, Scott doesn't like you. And there's some personal disconnect. It's like, hey, this is what you signed on to do. This is what all of us have signed on to do. Here's what you're doing. And here's how it doesn't match. Is this really what you want to be doing? Um, and it makes it much less personal and keeps everyone on the same team. Like it keeps everyone pointed in the same direction. Yeah. I like that. What is when you're asking questions of someone to determine like whether or not they have that fire in their soul, like what type of questions are you asking? You know, a lot of it is how engaging people are in the interview. Like or, or just in conversation, just before an interview, just uh, a casual phone call. Are they inquiring about what we're doing? Are they interested in the problem that we're solving? 
Are they interested in what the team looks like? Are they interested in like what the people on the team are like? Hmm. You know, you can get the feeling pretty quickly if someone is a high energy, you know, if, if they're, if they're really passionate about what they're doing and about people. So I, I don't know if there are specific questions. I'm sure there are, like, I'm sure there are experts on this. They could give you great answers. But uh, for me, it was more of intuition combined with clearly defining who we were and mm-hmm. having them opt in. Yeah, that's, I love that. Intuition is so important to listen to, especially as an entrepreneur, because especially as an owner too, I mean, you're, in charge of the business, you, you live or die by it. And like, you want to enjoy and be inspired by, by the people that you're working with. So for like, obviously you had those values laid out at um, your previous companies, but then as you look at lead Sigma, like what, what values of are the foundation of your company as you have been launching recently? Yeah. So I'll name a few. So we simplify the complex. So for our business, there's a lot of, for different businesses, different businesses have different sales processes. And for most of, for most of our clients or most of our prospects, that process has a lot of ambiguity around it. No one really knows what's going on. And so if we can simplify that process for our customers, simplify the explanation of it. So I can talk about Salesforce and HubSpot integrations and account records and all of this stuff that truly doesn't like it matters to make the service work, but it doesn't matter to the business. Like those are details that certainly need to be worked through, but that's not the primary value proposition. So we simplify the complex. Um, We're relentless. So this is especially important for a startup. Like it's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. And you want the ups to be higher (laughs) than the downs are low, but having that just fearless passion chasing after like solving the problem that you're trying to solve is super important. We have a strong action bias and get stuff done. Uh, also really important for a startup, but I, I realized in professional chats how important that was, especially as the organization grew. As you start to grow an organization and there's more layers, the organizational chart grows, there is this pull to like pass off work to other people, to create ambiguity in the process, to not solve a problem yourself. And certainly some things take teams to do, but having a meeting to have a meeting so that you don't have to do the work is uh, totally pointless. And so we want to make sure we stay away from that. And then lastly, we have fun and value every day. And this goes back to the cultural piece. So I'm really proud to be working on a team of very hard workers. Like we, we crush and we love working. We love what we're working on, but that like, that is, that in and of itself is empty. Like at the end of the day, we're surrounding ourselves with people. Like I see these guys in the office more than I see my family in a week. And, you know, that's something powerful to consider in, in terms of, what brings you actual joy in life? Like it brings me joy to see our customers close deals. Like that is amazing. But when I get to the end of my life, am I going to really care how many deals I helped businesses close? Like maybe in a very small way, I'm going to be much more 
satisfied with myself if I've created genuine relationships with people. And I laughed a lot and I had fun. And so, yes, we're relentless and we work super hard, but we also like to have fun and value each other. So those are our values. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so it sounds like you really, I mean, from the beginning, you have someone sign on to that, like, I'm I'm not just signing on to this particular job description and success metrics, but also I'm signing on to this larger mission and to like uphold these values. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think the problem that a lot of organizations run into is the mouthpiece of the organization or the HR person or whatever says, okay, like here's your employee manual. And the employee manual has the mission, vision, and core values. And maybe the mission and vision and core values are on a poster on the wall, but that's the end. And Mm -hmm. that is crazy to me. It has to be the actual DNA of the business. Mm -hmm. If being relentless isn't in the DNA of Lead Sigma, we will get to a point a year or two from now when we've got a few thousand customers and people will get lazy because they can't, because it's just natural that it happens that way. But if people have signed on to that from day one, those values can really endure some special sauce for a business. And so one of the ways that we made sure that this happened in professional chats and uh, we're doing Elite Sigma is we have daily meetings where at the very start, we have a small team feels kind of weird, but we talk about every day what like a different person will talk about what core value like is especially resonating with you today and why? Like what's the mission and like what are what work are you going to do today to push the mission forward? Like what's the vision and like how is the work that we're doing fit into where we're going? Those things highlighting them every single day and making them a part of a routine further reinforces the expectation that this is who we are. And it makes those conversations down the road with people that don't fit that mold even easier. Um, And many of those people self-select out because they can very clearly see that there's this big group of people that are on fire for something and they don't feel that way. Um, And there's no hard feelings there. It's just like, maybe it just wasn't a good fit. And like, that was, you know, a mistake on our part. So anyway, I think that that repetition is really important and to make sure that it is not that you have hired leaders and people to run those meetings that don't allow them to be boring. And Mm -hmm. it shouldn't feel routine. It should feel similar to, to what you mentioned on the podcast. Like this should be an authentic conversation in the same way. Like those, those meetings should feel like authentic conversations between people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really, it helps you have fun and value every day more. Right. So, yeah. So you guys do that every day. Yep. Wow. With three people in the office. And that's why I said it feels weird at the start, but you can imagine with 30 people and you've got three or four different teams and each one of those teams is doing the same practice every day. It builds a very unique, very powerful feeling in the organization because you know that customer success is signed on to the same thing that the software developers are signed up for. Same thing with sales it creates more unity in how the product is sold, how the customers are serviced, how we're building software. So it all trickles back down to the actual work that we do 
Um, yeah. And the more people are all signed up on the same team, the easier it is to make sure the organization is moving in unison. Yeah, that's fantastic. I've seen that like like daily standups, but I, I think that's something I want to consider for my team as well. So I appreciate you pointing that out. Uh, we do a Absolutely. little bit of that, but but not that frequently. So it's a good idea. Two lightning round questions to wrap up our time. The first is, what do you do to recharge? Like what fills up your tank more than anything else? Spending time with my wife and kids. So, or wife and kid. I've got a son, 11 month old. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Spending time with them. I mean, I got a year in an RV with my wife, which was just such amazing time together. But yeah, I mean, when you work hard, like, yeah, I've got some hobbies and stuff, but that doesn't, yeah, I have fun doing those things, but it does not fill my cup the same way as, um, you know, spending time with them. Yeah. Do you still do any choral singing in Kansas city area? (laughs) So I actually sang for the Kansas city corral for a season. Um, so I was a professional singer for a year, the same year that I started managing the practice. Um, (laughs) but it's just time consuming. Uh, so, I mean, I still love to do it, but, uh, just time is a precious resource and I just pop my AirPods in and listen to it when I'm feeling the urge. That's good. Nice. Then finally, what you could give a short bit of advice to a new entrepreneur, someone that's on the fence, like thinking of diving in, like what, what would you tell them? I would. I think when I talk to a lot of people who are on the fence, there are some people who can't get it out of their head. And there are some people like they can't, they just can't shake it. And there are other people that are, that want to do it for a lot of other reasons uh, because they don't like their boss or because they think they can do this one feature a little bit better. But I would say to all the people who can't shake it, do it. One of the best pieces of advice that I got before I decided to start professional chats was that I should be doing what I can't stand not doing. Mm. And I think that that is really valuable advice. And I try to live by that. So I do what I can't stand not doing. I love that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I There's a definition of like calling or purpose as like the the thing that that brings you the deepest joy. Like it's where it meets the world's deepest needs, you know, and that's mm-hmm. it's very similar to what you're saying. Like what, what's needed also, you know, brings you great joy because, you know, there's, you meet a lot of entrepreneurs almost weekly that they almost seem more weighed down or burdened by what they're doing and how they're doing it, you know, more than it brings them happiness. And so that's, that's awesome. And, this has been great to hear more of your story and I'm excited to hear the evolution of you and lead Sigma here in the days to come. So um, if people want to get in touch with you and lead Sigma, where would you point them? Leadsigma.com. They can, they can get a hold of us there. You're happy to shoot me an email. It's Scott at leadsigma.com. But yeah, would love to connect with people who are listening here. We're really excited for the direction of lead Sigma. So thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to, to chat with yeah. you. Thank you for coming on. Talk soon. Alrighty. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.